For the past few weeks, Jennifer Turner and I have been in conversation with a number of inquirers eager to learn more about St. Columba's, the Episcopal Church, and what it is to live God's love. Not surprising in light of this past year, questions arose about why God allows so much pain. The problem with faith is that we never know for sure. While we may find that faith in God is life-giving, essential, even for some, the ultimate concern of our lives, the journey of faith is invariably marked by seasons of profound doubt and loneliness. For God is not always to be found or felt or present. When we seek God, God has an unfortunate way of being silent. The signs of God's presence elude us. The voice of God is inaudible to our straining ears. The pains and crises of our lives prompt us to question the embarrassing absence of a God who is said to love us. Indeed, the volume of God's silence has been sufficient to lead many to despair and has prompted many to abandon the enterprise of faith altogether. For we do never know for sure. Now, there are some among us who have been fortunate enough to experience glimmers of God's presence, enough to convince us that God is, enough to keep us awake, looking, and listening for more. I do not assume this to be the case for everyone with us today. Some may be looking for that first meeting, trusting that the church would long ago have disappeared were there not something to keep the rest of us coming. Maybe there are some who know God's presence all the time, but such a one would be rare indeed. I certainly know that God is not always present to me. I traverse seasons of profound doubt and often experience faith as a, as a hunger and as a yearning for God rather than as any sort of knowing or apprehending. Now for many, Lent is a season of earnest searching for God. But it's often, however, in those times we search most eagerly that God's absence is all the more pronounced. For when we aren't paying much attention, we don't notice God's silence. Silence, a novel by 20th century Japanese author Shusaku Endo is set in Japan in the mid-16th century. It's the story of a Portuguese Jesuit missionary sent to Japan at a time following a period of great flowering of Christianity in those islands. Now, however, with a change in the Japanese shogunate, the practice and teaching of Christianity is strictly forbidden, laws enforced by torture and death. Silence is the story of a priest who believes God is calling him to share the gospel of Christ with the Japanese people, yet finds that those who profess faith in Christ are persecuted, subject to an agonizing death. His faith remains firm through most of the tale, yet the priest must rely on and be fed by past convictions and experiences for God is silent throughout. 
Following the government's cruel drowning of two Japanese peasant Christians who refused to step on a bronze image of Christ in an act of apostasy, the renunciation of their faith, the priest reflects, what do I want to say? I myself do not quite understand, only that today, when for the glory of God the two men, Mokichi and Ichizo, moaned, suffered, and died, I cannot bear the monotonous sound of the dark sea gnawing at the shore. Behind the depressing silence of the sea, the silence of God, the feeling that while men raise their voices in anguish, God remains with folded arms, silent. And after another man is sliced down, we're told what the priest could not understand was the stillness of the courtyard, the voice of the cicada, the whirling wing of the flies. A man had died, yet the outside world went on as if nothing had happened. Could anything be more crazy? Was this martyrdom? Why are you silent? Here this man has died, and for you, you ought to know. Why does this stillness continue, this noonday stillness, the sound of the flies, this crazy thing, this cruel business, and you avert your face as though indifferent? This, this I cannot bear. At the end, the priest is broken exhausted, defeated, forced himself to trample on the image of Christ and apostatize the faith that defines his very being. Many years later, the fallen priest, living a seemingly meaningless existence, offers to another that which he technically can no longer offer, the absolution of sin. And the book concludes, the priest had administered that sacrament that only the priest can administer. No doubt his fellow priests would condemn his act of sacrilege. But even if he was betraying them, he was not betraying his Lord. He loved God now in a different way from before. Everything that had taken place until now had been necessary to bring him to this love. Even now, I am the last priest in this land. But our Lord was not silent. For even if he had been silent, my life until this day would have spoken of him. The significant revelation of this conclusion is not the sense of reconciliation and a too neat summary that all that went before had been leading up to this, the significant revelation is the priest's realization that God was not out beyond, rather that God was somehow speaking through his life, that his life was the word of God, that God was present because he was present. My life until this day would have spoken of God. Our lives speak the word of God. 
the presence of God. God is not silent if you are there. And even in our seasons of profound doubt and loneliness, the God we seek is reflected in and revealed through our lives. Says Jesus, describing this mystery to the bewildered disciples, very truly I tell you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains just a single grain, but if it dies, it bears much fruit. Those who love their life will lose it, and those who hate their life in this world will keep it for eternal life. As many have realized, God's presence is found most poignantly when we reach the end of our rope, when we hit bottom. True it is that a life of faith calls us to abandon that which we hold most dear. Recall the prophet Jeremiah's teaching about the perseverance of God and the pathos of God's love for us. Said Jeremiah, this is the covenant that I will make. I will put my law within them and I will write it on their hearts and I will be their God and they shall be my people. Well, according to an ascetic story, several pious Jews once asked their rabbi about the fundamental creed of the Hebrew scriptures, the Shema, which reads, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one Lord, and you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. And these words which I command you this day shall be upon your heart, and you shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise and you shall bind them as a sign upon your hand and they shall be frontlets between your eyes and you shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. And the Jews asked Rebbe, Rebbe, why is it written that these words shall be upon your heart? Why not rather into your heart? And the rabbi replied, because it is not within the power of man to put those words into his heart. All we can do is lay these words upon our heart so that when our heart breaks, they can drop in. Perhaps this is what happened to the priest and to Jesus' disciples before him. Perhaps this is what we await when God is silent. Alas, the prerequisite may be a broken heart. Yet each of us know by experience or intuition that our hearts shall be broken, if not yesterday or today, someday, our hearts shall be broken because we love, because we love. And the key in all that I have said is that the agency of faith is not ours, but God's. The one who writes God's law upon our hearts is sometimes silent, but 
It is God, not us, who placed that law upon us. It is God who speaks through our lives. Invariably, I begin each Lent with a list of good intentions, what I'm going to do or not do, how I'm going to change this or that, focus on this or that. Sometimes I realize that which I set out to do, sometimes I do not. But by this fifth Sunday of Lent, we are perhaps readier to listen to the Lord, more open to learn from Christ, more honest about our limits and God's grace. At this point, we realize God has brought us to this holy season so God may touch us and God may turn the church's heart around and God may lead us from the ways of death to the ways of life. We begin this season quite confident of our ability to reform, just as the priest set out confident of his ability to proclaim the gospel. We will end it, God willing, less self-important, more humbled. We began Lent filled with all the good things we will do. We will end it, we pray, ready to declare all the good things God has begun with us, ready to glory in God's steadfast love, ready to die with Christ, that we may be lifted up with Christ. May it be so with you. Amen.